0: Father, what, it, what an honor it is to be here by your invitation, and not because of anything we have done, anything we could do, simply because of the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning we will get a little deeper glimpse into that grace, and it will change the way we live. We love you dearly. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glad you guys are here. Chocolate Sunday. Is that not cool? I consider it kind of the second best of our staycation. So these two guys go to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other one's a tax collector. The guys who wrote the New Testament mention these Pharisees 99 times. They're mentioned a lot in the New Testament, even though there weren't all that many around in the time of Jesus. Josephus, a Jewish historian from about that time, tells us that there were probably around 6,000 of these guys in Israel. But they stood out. Everybody knew about the Pharisees. They were kind of the religious elite, the Navy SEALs or the Delta Force of the religious world. Their name, Pharisee, probably means the separated one or the separated ones, because they were different. They stood out. They were absolutely meticulous about the rules, the laws of the Old Testament. They counted literally 613 laws in the Old Testament, 248 do's, 365 don'ts, and they swore an oath that they're going to obey every single one of those laws. And that meant separating from those who didn't, like you and me. Separating from anybody who's impure, like most of us. You see, Satan can use anything including our best intentions, our best purposes for his purposes. These guys wanted to be all in, so Satan shoves them all in so hard that they're trying to shove other people out. See, sometimes, guys, religion messes people up. These guys, these, these Pharisees, were in some ways the best people in their world. In other ways, maybe the worst people in their world. They were so passionate for their own personal perfection, for their own personal purity, that a whole lot of them despised anybody who was imperfect and impure like you or like me. See, sometimes we get kind of like that. Sometimes the longer we play at the game of religion and the better we think we are at it, the better we think we are than you. Sometimes religious religion makes us arrogant and prideful and judgmental and all that, and that makes Jesus mad. Now, there's another guy, this tax collector. He's messed up. Everybody knows that the tax collector is messed up. The tax collector knows he's messed up. Everybody told him that every day. Back then, they were the scumbags in the world of Jesus. They were collaborators with the enemy. They worked for the Romans. And everybody knew that tax collectors were greedy, heartless, ruthless jerks, right? But at least this tax collector knows that he's messed up. People keep telling him that, and we know that he knows that he's messed up. In the temple, he's actually in the temple praying this amazing prayer, and he's uh, trying to do one of the toughest things that I think God asks. Him for some Now, I used to think that forgiving someone else is the toughest thing that God asked me to do. For me to offer genuine forgiveness to someone who has seriously wounded me or even worse than that, hurt my family. I'm not talking about minor aggravations, although I can be unforgiving about those too. I'm talking about deep wounds. I find it really, really hard to forgive people when they have deeply wounded someone I love. Do you? But actually, forgiving someone else may be the second hardest thing God asks me to do. Maybe the toughest thing God has ever asked me to do as a Christian is to believe that he forgives me. To accept his forgiveness of me. Accepting God's grace may be way harder for many of us. See, I've always believed in God's love. I believe with my head in God's amazing, scandalous grace. How difficult it is sometimes to accept that here in your heart that I'm a forgiven man. Because for every reason that you can give me why God has forgiven me, I can give you two reasons why He shouldn't, right? I mean, I know what's in my heart. I know the struggles with sin and the struggles with purity that I've gone through. I know the gifts and the opportunities God has given me in my life, and I know how many ways I have squandered them. I know the incredible opportunities I've had to study God, teach about God, preach about God for 45 years, and still there are times when I know exactly what He wants and I choose to do the other. Why should God forgive me? Have you ever felt that way? Why should God forgive you? So there are these two guys, this Pharisee and the tax collector. Which one of them do you identify with? I think I can see pieces of me in both of them. Pharisee, one of the religious elite, at least the people think so, this tax collector. So let's look and see what happened. Jesus tells us that, or Luke tells us that Jesus tells this story to some people who had great confidence in their own righteousness and who scorned everybody else. Jesus told this story to warn Pharisees, right? But I think it's got something to say to the rest of us who feel sometimes like tax collectors too. Jesus says these two guys went to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other one's a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself. He separated himself. That's what they did. And he prayed this prayer. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and all that. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Look at me, God. Pretty good, huh? Pretty special. Impressive, right? Jerk. And then it says, the tax collector stood at a distance too, but for other reasons. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. Hmm. Just this, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. Because, think about it, guys. What else is there to say? What else is there? Now it's a parable, so Jesus doesn't tell us all of the details that we might want to know about, what happens next. He does tell us how God responds to prayers like these. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, the sinner, not the Pharisee, the sinner is the one who returned home justified before God. But it makes you wonder, do you think the Pharisee ever discovered that he was hosed? Or do you think the tax collector ever really discovered, owned, that he was forgiven? Wouldn't you like to know? Because I think there are so many different ways that what happened in this parable could go wrong. It could be tragic, heartbreaking, real. I mean, what if the tax collector never heard God's answer? What if the tax collector never heard what God said? From the bottom of his heart, over and over, he prays to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God whispers to him, I know you are, and I forgive you. I forgive you. What if the tax collector never, ever, ever heard God's whisper? Too often we don't for a plethora of reasons. Or maybe, maybe the tax collector did hear the whisper of God, but he refused to accept it as the word of God? What if the tax collector heard God say, I forgive you, and he blew it off as too good to be true, which is what so many of us have done a thousand times? Or what if? What if instead of hearing the whisper of God, what if that tax collector overheard the prayer of the Pharisee? What if this tax collector is saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and all he can hear is this, tax, or this Pharisee up there saying things like this, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, like cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that guy. What if tax collectors today heard one of us Pharisees praying anything akin to that? And what if our prayers to God whisper are drowned out the whispers of God's grace? Or what if, and here's what happens way too often in our day, what if this tax collector didn't even feel worthy to go to the temple and ask for God's forgiveness? He didn't feel worthy to pray that prayer. How many times have you felt unworthy to look God in the eyes, to pray to God? How many times have I felt that way? I mean, my sins are too many or my sins are too big. Why would God ever listen to me in the first place? What good would it do to pray? stupid we are sometimes because guys way too often we have a really messed up view of God and here it is guys whenever our view of God is messed up we inevitably have a very messed up view of ourselves so unless you can get a glimpse of the real God you'll never have a sense of the real you A lot of people think God is kind of like an angry Santa, right? That's who God is, the angry Santa. He's making these lists. He's checking them twice. He's trying to figure out whether you're naughty or nice, and you're naughty quite a bit, and he always catches you, and he's got you on his list. He's got you. Or how many of you old guys, you probably have to be old, how many of you old guys remember Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, right? The old Saturday Night Live. I wish your lights is on. I hope to see someone's hand up because it was really pretty good. But here's one of Jack Candy's deep thoughts. If a kid asks, where does the rain come from? I think a cute thing to tell him is God is crying. And if he asks why God is crying, another cute thing to tell that kid is probably because of something you did. We think about God like that. C.S. Lewis tells about a schoolboy's image of God. Kid said that as far as he could make it out, God is the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anybody's enjoying themselves and then trying to stop it. How sad is that? See, way too many of us, way too many of us, even in this room, we actually believe that God would rather condemn us than forgive us, right? We're so messed up. Do you, know you know that God cares more about you than about what you've done? Think about that. God cares more about you than about what you've done. You understand that principle if you're a parent or a grandparent? You care more about your kids than about what they have done? You get that, don't you? And did you know that God is actually more eager to forgive you than you are to ask His forgiveness? As crazy as that sounds, do you know how I know? The cross, the cross, he forgave you before you ever sinned. That's what the cross was all about. Who would ever forgive a man before the sin was ever committed? Who would forgive a guy before the forgiveness was even asked for? Our God did. That's the real God. That's not how we view God, is it? It's not how we treat God. We treat him like the angry Santa, the grumpy old man in the sky, looking for someone having fun or and so we can sit on him. Or this is even worse. Some Jesus followers, some people who are not Jesus followers, believe that God's forgiveness is not big enough to cover my sin. Not big enough to cover your sins. Maybe His grace is big enough for your sin, but not big enough for my sin. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me that. We actually, Think about it. We actually act like the death of God. The death of God is not enough to cover my sins. That's what we act like. Your cross, Jesus, is inadequate for my sins, we tell Him. Stupid as that. Or sometimes we just treat God like we're smarter than he is, fairer than he is. We act like our judgment trumps his. Like our tribunal is higher than God's tribunal. We say stupid things like this. You may forgive him, God, but I won't. Or you may forgive me, God, but I can't. You may think your cross is powerful enough to cover my sin, God, but I don't. Apparently, my standards are higher than yours, God. How stupid as that. And here's the deal. When our view of God is all messed up, inevitably, our view of ourselves gets all messed up. And guys, we are messed up. One guy, one guy did a whole lot of study on this. He's a psychologist, and he, he stated that the average American spends two hours a day, average American spends two hours a day dealing with guilt. You buy that? He says, two hours a day dealing with guilt, 39 minutes a day battling moderate to severe guilt. And if you think that's crazy, think about it here for a minute from this perspective. You ever regretted staying up too late? at least the next morning, and then when you wake up, you press the snooze button, you keep on sn- pressing the snooze button until you're up too late, and then you're late for something, and then you're just guilting all over the place, right? Or have you ever finally picked out that piece of candy that you hid from the kids, or that you ate that dessert that you know is busting your diet in the face, or you just keep on snacking because you're isolated in some fashion, and there is the guilt, Right? Or you flip by that website again on purpose. Or you find yourself staring at her again. How many times a day do you cave and regret? Or you lie again, just a little lie, but it catch that little twinge of conscience or you catch yourself gossiping again when you know you shouldn't and you get that twinge of conscience or you swore that you'd never say that word again and you find yourself saying that word again or what you said instead was just rude or hurtful or thoughtless and there's that guilt and shame, right? Or you drop by the store and you come out with way more than you went for. Ever been there? I live there. That's the way I shop, right? Or Amazon, when you really shouldn't this time. Or you plan out your day and you only get half of your to-do list done and the guilt hits you or you just turn in sloppy work or you find yourself at work and instead of doing your job, you just waste time. The guilt. You go home with your family and sometimes you treat your family badly or you just neglect them. Guilt. Sometimes it's survivor's guilt. It should have been there. I should have seen the symptoms. I should have done something. Why wasn't it me? And that's comparatively little stuff. How about just the number of times we've looked at God and said, I know what you want. and This time I don't care. How many times have you known exactly what God wanted and you've thought to yourself, on this one, God, I think I know what's better for me than you do. And you just do what you want instead of what God wants. And afterwards... You felt the guilt. You felt the shame. And if you start thinking at it from that perspective, for a lot of you guys, two hours a day is not nearly enough, right? So what do we do? At least with respect to the good shame, good guilt, because there is good guilt, there is good shame, there is bad guilt, bad shame. I'm not going to go into that stuff this morning. But too often we just go through life battling oppressive guilt. You go through life with your joy, your peace stolen because of your guilt and your shame. You get crushed by your guilt and your shame. Or sometimes you develop these strategies. Maybe I'm going to try to figure out some way to earn my way back. I'm I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to stop doing the bad things, and I'm going to do more good things until I make up for what I've done, right? Or even those of you who are not Catholics sometimes try to figure out some form of punishment. Penance. Sorry about that. Try to figure out some kind of parents. I'll just go ahead and take the punishment for what I've done. Maybe, that, maybe the punishment that he suffered wasn't adequate and I've got to make up for some of it. Or some people turn to religion. Maybe if I do enough church or maybe if I read enough Bible or maybe if I say enough prayers or if I give enough money, then I'll be right with God. As if being right with God is about anything that we do at all. Well, Today, right here, right now, we're just going to try to do it God's way. We're going to try to break the cycle. I'm going to start by trying to introduce you again to the real God. This is the real God. Start with the Psalms. The Psalmist says he will not constantly accuse us. That's God. God will not constantly accuse us. He will not remain angry forever. He won't. He doesn't punish us for all of our sins, thank God. Nor does he deal harshly with us because his unfailing love, his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? And did you know that that psalmist didn't even know about the cross yet? He just knew something about the nature and the character of God. Then you go to some of the most famous words in the Bible, John 3, 16 and 17. This is how much God loved the world. This is how much God loves you because you're part of that world, right? He gave us one and only Son. He gave His Son. That's how much He loves us, it says. So that everyone who believes in Him, everyone who will, which means any of us if we will, Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, and this is so big, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's the heart of God? The Apostle John spent his whole life serving God. And he was an old man when he wrote these words. And he wrote these words and he says, if we confess our sins to him, if we just confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our wickedness. That's God's promise. That's God's heart. Do you believe that? So instead of wallowing in our guilt Or try to figure out some way to pay for what we have done, which we can't. Or trying to do penance, as if the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough to cover our sins. Or trying to get religious enough to make up for the bad we have done, to get God to accept us anyway. Let's just do what he asks. Just do what he asks. Let's start here. Just confess your sin. God, I did it. Sorry. No excuses. I mean, too often our confessions of sin are more like a laundry list of excuses, asking God to buy in. No excuses, no justification, no blaming somebody else, no rationalizing anything at all, just God, have mercy on me because I sinned. But it goes beyond that. It's not just the fact that I sinned. Maybe it goes to the fact that you admit that you're a sinner. You know what the difference is? Admitting that I'm a sinner means that I have come to recognize that I am not good enough and I am not smart enough and I'm not strong enough to make myself into the man God wants me to be, right? I'm a sinner. And I'm never going to make myself into the man that I want me to be. I'm never going to make myself into the man God wants me to be. It's going to take him. I'm a sinner against God, right? Acknowledge that before my God. Hmm. This one's the hardest. We can probably do these two. This one's the hardest. Trust his promise. Trust his awesomeness. Trust the grace of God. Abandon yourself to the love of the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. And he said, if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us our sin and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just trust him. Guys, if God says it, it is God's truth. You can bet your eternity on it. That's what we're doing. And then give thanks. Instead of going back and rehashing and asking forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over and over again, which is what we typically do, Give thanks. Thank God for His forgiveness and accept His peace. Do you have any idea how annoying it might be to God when He says, I forgive you, and we just refuse to accept it? How annoying it must be when we keep asking forgiveness for the same sins over and over and over and over again because we don't trust that God actually forgives us once for all that God is that good, that that God is that gracious. I mean, how often has God cleansed you and you just insist on feeling dirty anyway? And I could give PhD level classes in that. Come on, guys, Satan uses guilt as a club to cripple those of us who try to follow Jesus. Don't let him win. In fact, here's what the Apostle John says. He says, even if we feel guilty, even if you feel guilty, don't trust your feelings. Trust God. Even if you feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He has forgiven you. He has freed you. Will you trust Him? Just keep on accepting His forgiveness and His peace. Keep on thanking Him. Guys, I'm almost done, but not quite. But before I finish up, Stephen is going to lead us in a song, okay? It's a great song and it kind of sets up for where we're going next. After we sing this song together, then we're going to actually pray the sinner's prayer together. But when we sing this song, I don't want you to just listen, I want you to pay attention to the words. The words are powerful. Here's what it's going to say I'm guilty. Do you believe that? I'm guilty. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of what I've become. These hands are dirty, and I dare not lift them to my holy God. But you plead my cause, Jesus. You right my wrongs. You break my chains, and you overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I'm free. How can it be? How can it be? but it is. Let's sing this song together.